Welcome to the C3 Calgary podcast. Thanks for joining us today for an inspiring message from our West location. We're so grateful that you're a part of our family and we'd love to invite you to one of our services. To find locations, times, and more information about our church, visit our website at myc3church.ca or find us on Instagram. Enjoy the message. Myself, I want to just this marriage thing. These are really important days when we have marriage retreats. I think they're really it's a difference between marital bliss and marital blisters. <coughs> just just uh, l- learning some skills, setting aside some time, and um, and so that's this week. The the um, the assessment itself is worth the registration. We found incredible uh, insight in the assessment. Uh, it's a personal assessment, and then we're going to talk through that privately on Saturday, and then there's lunch. So, I mean, pretty good, pretty, pretty good deal. So, anyway, <coughs> excuse me. I'm going to, uh, I just want to mention last week, <coughs> no, pardon me, it was a week before, uh, for somehow we've become the pastors uh, of the pastors of C3 Jacksonville, Florida. <coughs> I don't know quite how that worked. <coughs> pardon me. <coughs> there we go. But anyway, we were there last week, two weeks ago, if you've seen the Instagram feeds. Do we have any pictures of that, actually? Oh, yeah, we do. Yeah, there we are. So, so this is pathetic that they have that type of a backyard <laughs> in Janu- January, anyway. And they have an excellent water park. Most of you know Emma and Tyler. And when they were here, this is their sending church, they say. I'm still trying to figure out how that works. And we gathered in the clubhouse there, and uh, we, had a, we launched C3 Jacksonville, Florida. So I think it's cool. <laughs> I just think it's cool. <laughs> Now, the week before uh, C3 NYC New York City um, is, uh, had, began its dinner parties in Paris, and they're launching C3 Paris. And, so, uh, and then last year, C3 Milan. And so if you're planning a trip, take in a service, one of these places, and tell them, tell them where you're from. And uh, we're just one big uh, global family, so I hope that that's the case. All right, I want to talk to you today about it's complicated and um, about relationships and... Um, um, I found that it's possible to learn something by not doing something. Did anybody forget Valentine's Day? You can learn something by not doing something. I, um, in, a, in a flash of male genius, I decided to put together my wife's birthday and her Valentine's Day in one day. One. You can learn stuff by not doing stuff sometimes. I thought, I thought what I'd do is i get the jump on, on Valentine's Day because I, I, dates are sort of important. Uh, but, <clears throat> but I thought what I'd do, I thought in October I was remembering that. And I said, why don't I just give you your Valentine's present in October? Another flash of male genius. <laughs> we, learn, we learn stuff. The reason that relationships are complicated is because they're multidimensional. It's not, relationships are not just physical, they're not just emotional, they're not just social, they're not just spiritual, Uh, they're multi-dimensions. And uh, when we have a relationship and we are involved in relationships, um, I think one of the things that we, 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 we forget is that we are the ones who are in charge of relationships in our life. 
I know five things about relationships. I'm not going to talk about those, but uh, five things, five basic convictions. First of all, they're designed to heal us, which is the reason why they wound us. We're healed in relationships as well as wounded in relationships. Secondly, they will determine the quality of your life. Your, your quality of life will diminish if the quality of your relationships diminish. It's as simple as that. You'll, you, will, you, will, you will not be able to find someone who's successful in life and has failed in relationships. They're that, they're that critical. Um, the third thing is they demonstrate God's truth. All truth and doctrine is unproven until it functions well in the context of relationships. So you knowing something is not where you're blessed. It's in doing something that you're blessed. That you know some things but don't do them will not bless you. So you need to actually uh, participate in the things that you know. The, the fourth thing I know about relationships is they're, they, they function like mirrors. Uh, and many of us would get upset at the mirror. The great, the, the great thing is neither do mir mirrors don't lie, nor do they laugh. Good thing. The fifth, the fifth thing I know about relationships is they're completely unfair. So just deal with it. And trying to make them fair is unrealistic. So this makes them somewhat um, complicated. Uh, I have found it in relationships how I see another is really a, a reflection on how I see myself. So you will find there's interplay between what we see, what we say, and what we do. And so I submit to you this morning that uh, how we see relationships will determine how we function in leadership or in relationship. And, and last week, uh, Pastor Steve, as well as Pastor Tim on Sunday night, talked about relationships and the, different, and the different aspects of love. And love always uh, causes a response of some kind. That's why when we, tr we try to change another person rather than love another person, um, they're offended. To try and change someone is the highest form of rejection. What you're saying is they're not okay just the way they are. But the way that we've been loved by Christ is just the way we are. I'm sort of thinking of that Billy Joel song. <laughs> I love you just the way you are. Dun, 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 dun. <clears throat> uh, you, you, I found that life is a journey of self-development. And the, the irony is it's impossible to develop alone. You can't even tickle yourself. Have you found that? You need someone else to do that for you. Uh, so, so our lives are basically limited to the things that we can't get past. So the last thing that you couldn't get past is where your life stops developing. And so our ability to be able to deal with things has a lot to do with how uh, we've previously been dealt with. And so I think I could say without fear of disagreement, the single most important factor for happiness, health, and longevity is meaningful, loving relationships. The four different types of love that Pastor Steve talked about very eloquently last week was um, eros, which creates a certain response of sexual stimulus. And, um, and, and we're meant to evoke and never obligate another. But there is uh, a little bit of obligation that's connected with eros often. Phileo love or family love or friendship love, pleasure, affection, fondness. Um, storge love, that, the love of uh, families. 
But the one that I want to talk about today that's the one that never fails. Some, when we hear the phrase, when we read about 1 Corinthians 13 where it says love never fails, for some of you go, right. But the agape love of God never fails because it's type of, the type of love that it is, it's a sacrificial love. It doesn't need anything in return. For lo- love does need to be completed to be fulfilled. But love by itself, the, the agape love is not a relational love. It's one way. For God so loved that he just gave. He didn't need anything back. When something come back, comes back, that is the completion of the cycle of love. Unrequited love is empty love. That's one way. When love comes back, and this is why it's so beautiful and so touching at the altar of marriage. So touching. So beautiful. Um, the, it's the only, so, so because agape love is the, is the God quality of love, it's only accessible through our relationship with God. I tell young couples when they get married frequently, and I tell myself frequently, that uh, our, our ability to love depends on our ability to get back to the source of love. And you need to come back to the source of love, otherwise our quality of love will be very selfish and, and, and self-fulfilling. But God's love that never fails and his love that we desire more than anything else sees a certain way. It sees the person, it actually values the object. The object of, of agape love is, is seen as valuable. So when God looks at a human being, he looks at you and I, he says, ah, oh, they're valuable, I'm going to love them. He sees inherent worth. But our inability to see worth and value in another person will cause us to not treat them with worth and value. So that's what I want to try and talk about today and, um, and how, um, how that works in our life. When, when we're dating, dating is typically not agape love. Um, um, here's what you, here, here's, because there's a, there's a little bit of a death sentence that's connected with that. You know that if you don't perform a certain way that you're not getting another date. So you have to p- perform a certain way. Do you know what I'm talking about? Anybody dated here? You know what I mean. Because you're trying to win the other person, am I right? That's what you're trying to do. So you show up at your very, very best consistently. Something happens once when we get married. Often we now don't feel like we have to keep winning. We feel like we've won. It's just wrong. I mean, it's limited, right? It's just very limited. Um, but very human, nevertheless. Love is not a hole that you fall into. It's a dimension of life that you choose to walk in. I would submit to you that the purpose of life is learning to love. The question at the end of life would probably be more like this. Did we love? That's probably not, not maybe what uh, we've acquired, but what have we become? And, and I think a lot about the questions at the end of life as I get closer to the end of life. Uh, Paul was propelled and constrained by love. The purpose of the church remains to demonstrate God's love to a hurting and a love-starved world. Um, most relationships, they won't fail because people don't try. Uh, we, we, we don't get points for effort. I wish we could. At the florist the other day, well, I won't talk about that. Um, <clears throat> um, but here's, here's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about three relational killers, maybe four and a couple of subpoints. 
but probably just three. And, um, and I want to talk about first the number one relational killer probably in, in, in that scene most of all throughout our life is unforgiveness. What happens with unforgiveness is it connects you permanently to your past. So un, un, it, forgiveness is the only thing that will re, rewrite your past. So you can rewrite your past by forgiving yourself of the past. You can change it you'll, and you'll see it different. Otherwise, you remain stuck blind to something that took place in your past. You won't, you won't even have understanding or context of it. You'll just know that something happened. And you'll think it was that person. The fact is you're doing it to yourself, not the person that did it to you. So unforgiveness is a, is a killer in relationships. Um, <clears throat> the secret of life is to forgive everyone everything every day or else stay stuck in your past. The invitation for us to live a life of forgiveness includes forgiving. That God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself and now he gives us that ministry of reconciliation for you and I not just to be reconciled to God but to reconcile one to another. This is how we have a full and a fruitful life. Um, the, the passage I want to look at is in, found in Luke chapter 6. And, um, and it's, I, don't, I don't have it on the screen, I don't think, because I just I was reading this this morning. But let me just read it to you. And I'm going to include the second point with this too, reading from verse uh, 37. Verse 27, of course, Jesus arguably was the, the master of relationships. And he, and he, it's not that you don't know uh, what he t talked about, but we, we, we typically don't practice it. Uh, how, how do we deal with people who are uh, unkind and unloving and just plain old nasty? He says this, he says, he says, bless them. He just says to bless them and pray for them. It's, it sounds so simple. Actually, the Bible is quite simple. It takes other people to help you misunderstand it. It's pretty simple, right? So he... And, and, and something like this, he said, here's, a, here's something simple. Treat people like you'd like to be treated. Yeah, right. No, really. Try it. It actually works. Jesus was onto something there. How would you like to be treated? Because the output or the, the, the harvest is determined by the seed. So you're expecting a different harvest by planting the same seed. It's kind of foolish. But anyway, he goes on and says, Are you, but if you're willing to listen, I'm going to say, I, I say this, love your enemies, do good to those that hate you, pray for those, for the happiness of those who curse you, the, right? The people that cut you off on the road. Pray for those who hurt you. Somebody slaps you on the cheek, cheek turn the other cheek. He, I don't know which cheek he was referring to, but cheeky, cheeky. If somebody demands your coat, give him a shirt. No, and, no <laughs> everybody's so responsive uh, all of a sudden. <clears throat> Give what you have to anybody who asks for it. Listen to this, because, because here's what he's referring to. He says, love gives. You, you can't love without giving. It's proof of love, the desire to give. There's a line up at the floor shop the other day. Should have been the day before, likely, but. You, you can't love and not, not want to give. It's, it's the proof that you love something is the desire to want to give. God, the, 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 the reason I know that God's love for me is intense and special is because he gave his son for me when I was unkind, uncaring, and ungodly. He saw value in me before I returned any of that response. 
It says it's the, actually the goodness and the kindness. He says this, is that, is that we love because we have first been loved. That love does not originate with you and I. We're not that awesome. So um, anyway, I'm trying to get to a point here. And he says all these things about giving. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Manam, manam, manam. Verse 37, stop judging and you won't be judged. Stop criticizing and, uh, or it'll get, it's going to come back on you. He's not saying that God will do this. He's saying people will do this. Uh, if you give, uh, sorry, if you forgive others, you will be forgiven. The fact is you're all forgiven, but you may not be experiencing the fruit of that forgiveness. That's what it means. Uh, so if you forgive others, you'll be forgiven. And if you give, you'll receive, and your gift will return to you in full measure, pressed down, shaken together, making room for more, running over. He's not referring to dollars and cents here, even though it works with dollars and cents. He's referring to uh, emotion and love. And attention to another person. He says, what you, when you give, it'll actually return in a, in a, in a, in a, a, a multiplied fashion. He's saying, if you're looking for love, start trying to suck love out of somebody. Just give love, and it will come back. It's a difficult thing, because our hearts find it difficult to give when they've been broken. But he, here we come to the, one, the only one that can bind up broken hearts. We can fill ourselves with his love, and then we go and give it away. It's proof that you got something, is that you're giving it away. Um, unforgiveness blinds us. It, 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 it affects the way that we see another person. We don't see them as valuable enough to be forgiven. He, he would go on to talk about speck spotting. And he would say that when you're, fo when you're looking at the speck in another person's eye, you're actually missing the person. You're seeing only the fault. And when we only see the fault in another person, it doesn't help the other person, and it doesn't help us because we're missing the entire being of that other person and the essence of who they are and who they can become. He said, so, so somehow, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't question the world's uh, uh, angst and anger against the church because we've somehow felt that we are the moral conscience of the world. <laughs> we somehow feel that we have permission to point out faults in another person, and that's going to cause them to make the adjustment. It won't. It doesn't work. It's loving another person that will change them, not pointing out that they're unhealthy, ungodly, and full of faults. That won't change anybody. It won't change you. It won't change your spouse. It won't change your friends. And somebody whispered amen under their breath. We're getting someplace. The primary reason for not, for, for not spotting the speck in the other person's eyes is because it blinds us to the rest of the person. It, 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 and it takes away we, the, our ability to see them as they are. Second biggest relational killer is judgments. Um, and uh, we all have them. Some of you feel the effect of them. Um, maybe even this morning. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. And I think here too. Oh yeah, in chapter, in Luke chapter 6, verse 37. Stop judging others or you yourself will be judged. That's quite a statement, isn't it? Here, here, two, things, two things about judgments that I've found to be particularly true in my life. And listen, the reason I'm saying this is because I've had to preach this to myself for the last two weeks straight. Um, and even though you know it, uh, how are you doing at practicing it? In a few moments, we're going to pray to break all judgments in your life. 
We're coming to agree. I can't break them for you. You have the desire to break them. But there's two things that cause judgments to be powerful in our life. The first thing is the value that we place, the significance we place on the one that's being judged or we're judging. And the second thing is, is uh, attaching motive. When we attach motive to somebody else's actions, listen, and none of us know what another person's motive was. You don't even know your own reason why you do stuff. I don't. Let's just keep that moral high ground uh, vacant. We don't know. We don't know. You don't know why you do stuff. But you know, there's some, there's some reason we do stuff. And, and, and honestly, um, when, when, and, th- and the more significant that judgment is, the more powerful it is in your life. And the reason they become even more powerful is, is the people that's the closest to us, that mean the most to us, are the ones that have the, can have the greatest impact on us. The, 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 the gas attendant, Pedro, at the co-op, uh, he can't offend me because I, I don't really value his opinion that much. I like him. It's, he's the only gas attendant that hugs me. It's the wildest thing. Someday, someday Pedro's going to come to church. <clears throat> let's, not, let's not talk about Pedro. But um, stop judging others or you will not be, and so you won't be judged. Who does the, by who? Not by God. By people. God's not judging you. He's loving you. It, it, it's people that will judge you. Um, I don't know if I'm making my point or not. Nothing outside of us has power until you attach importance to it. What, what you do, you give power to. And so what's taking place in your life, it's not what somebody else does to us. It's how we view that thing that was done to us. It's the importance we attach or the value we attach to that thing. So, so in essence, I'm saying it's not what people do to us. It's what we're doing to ourselves. Nobody else can make you angry. Did you know that? Nobody else can make you sad. You make a decision that you're going to be sad or you're going to be angry or you're going to be mad. They can't do that to you. That's a decision that you made. And so you're choosing to react to a thing that somebody else did rather than respond in love. Mm. 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 So, we, so, so what he's trying to say to us here is that you get back way more than you put in. Press down, shaking together, running over. It was just a little judgment. Why is everybody judging me? You, you, because relationships are mirrors. They're revealing something of you. And if we don't try to break the mirror, but rather learn, even we'll be, we'll be well, I never realized how selfish I was until I got married. Is anybody else like that? I thought I was a pretty good guy until one honest guy back there, one a semi-honest guy over there. We don't, know, we don't realize that, right? It takes another person to show us how selfish we are. Because by yourself, as long as you live by yourself in isolation, as a bachelor up in the woods, you'll just, I mean, you're just weird and... Like, you'll never know how odd you really are because there's no mirrors around. Oh, I'm off point. Let me just, uh, I forgot my watch this morning, so not not my sleeve. Relational killer number two, it's your past. And again, we are limited to the things we can't get past. Um, um, I just love uh, Matthew chapter 1 and verse 6. The reason I love it is because it gives me incredible hope. And here's what it says. It says, Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, brackets. His mother was Bathsheba, 
the widow of Uriah. It doesn't say David's wife. David was able to get past something from his past and become one of the greatest kings that ever lived. He didn't let his past define him. It could have killed him. It could have diminished him. It could have limited his potential and his opportunities. But he, God does not look at your past to determine your future. He sees incredible value and worth in just who you are and where you're going. He would like you to get past your past because he's got a great future prepared for you. A hope and a future that's prepared for you. Um, I, uh, I don't like 1 Corinthians chapter 13 very much. I refuse to read it at marriages, weddings, I mean. Uh, but the one passage that, that um, disturbs me because of the legalist in me is verse 5 where it says, well, I don't, love is not irritable. I get that. That's... But what, I do, what, what bothers me a little bit is it keeps no records of wrongs. That's disturbing. Because, because all of a sudden, is there, is there a lawyer, in, in, like a latent lawyer in each one of us? Did you know what I, I, I discovered? I read about lawyers that 60-some um, uh, percent of them hate their job. Because they always have to tell the truth. It's based on justice. And they, they can't, like, it's always, and, and truth, is co of course, creates a pessimist of us, of us all. Uh, optimists are incredibly unrealistic. They lie to themselves all the time. <laughs> it's, it's how you function. What well, we do, we just, we think unrealistic things. And, oh, life's going to get better. Who says? Well, we just believe that. <laughs> but lawyers don't. And uh, anyway, um, it doesn't keep any records of wrongs. How, how are you doing? at loving your friends because we don't keep any record of their past? How are you doing at loving your spouse because you don't keep any records of your past? This is the type of love that just sacrificially gives in spite of what's happened to you. The sacrificial love. Um, all right. Um, it seems that God wanted us to remember in Matthew chapter 1 that the perfection, the imperfection of one of his servants um, would not limit him from becoming uh, all that he's called and created to be. The great Solomon was the product of a relationship that began with deceit, adultery, and murder. Why, why would this be in the genealogy of Jesus? Because for many of us, our imperfections and our embarrassments and or our failures in our past create stigmas within ourselves, and we're not able to let go of our past. We're held captive to moments and experiences and relationships in our past. Uh, his dad, King David, would become the greatest leader of all kinds, of all time. If, if David had been directed by some of the religious counselors of the day, he would have been asked to resign as king. They would have had Bathsheba put away and spent the rest of his days stuck in shame and unresolved past. Even more critical was the restored future and the lineage of the great Messiah. Here's, here's the truth for you and I. We do not get what we deserve. We get what Christ deserved because we are in Christ. What a miracle. What if we could treat others like that? What if we could see others as deserving and valued as we want to feel about ourselves? It's easy to see faults and splinters in others' lives. All right. Um, David had to work through his issues, no doubt. But he didn't wallow in pity and spend his days in defeat. For, forgiving ourselves of our past and accepting that life isn't fair. Relationships are not fair. Don't keep track. Like, just throw away the scorecards. Forget about it. Forget about it. Just, he didn't mope in the dark halls of his past. 
And, um, and it's no doubt that he will have had to work through issues, so would have Bathsheba had to work through issues. But they didn't let them limit his past. One of the biggest areas for me uh, in, in our marriage was trying to help my wife with the limiting beliefs of her past about herself. And, um, and we, you know, uh, all of us have beliefs, certain beliefs that lead to certain behaviors. And if we're not careful, we'll judge people based on their behavior and not try to drill into the roots and the belief systems of their, uh, that they currently function under. I asked a young man one day, I said, who's responsible for your wife's self-esteem? He thought for a minute, it was a bit of a trap. But then he eventually said, oh yeah, I am. I said, that's right, you are. You, you, your, your words to your wife are the most critical words that she'll ever, and she needs to learn to trust those words because she's listened to other words for most of her previous past. Your words need to be redemptive. They need to be healing. They need to make her feel incredibly safe and secure and strong and beautiful and precious and cherished. And a few women said, just the way it is. Um, watch, so we need to watch. Uh, people, people live with stigmas and labels and embarrassments of the past all the time. And we find many are often locked in their past. I love Colossians chapter 1 verse 12. It says, now... Give thanks, I give thanks to the Father, who he's the one who qualified us as partakers of inheritance. Who qualifies us? Not us, not our best efforts, but it's the Father who qualifies us. And you and I now are qualified to receive our inheritance. Uh, to, to replay pains of our past keeps us locked in, in prisons of our past. And let me give the fourth relational killer in the last 10 seconds that I have. And it may be the most profound, and most of you know it, it's not a big surprise, and that's selfishness. Um, verse 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it says, love does not demand its own way. Wow. If I could just, I mean, I could, I've memorized that. It's so hard to live like that. Because certain ways I think things should be done. Let me, let me just make, give you an interesting note about selfishness. Um, in, since 2011, uh, I don't know if you knew this or not, but selfies have become deadly. 259 deaths are recorded based on selfishness, selfies. 259. They're mainly, this is interesting, it's mainly due to height and water. <laughs> I just find that interesting. Uh, you look deeper into the data on this, and there's a difference actually in gender, that, that men are three times likely to die from a selfie than a woman. I'm not, I'm not even going to hypothesize what that means. But here's, but here's what I am going to say is it's interesting that, that the average age of those who die in, in selfie deaths is 22.9. Interesting, the older they get, the less you die in selfies. <laughs> I'm not standing on a tower taking a picture of myself for anybody. <laughs> it's horrible when you read those stories. Thinking, uh, so anyway, I'm trying to make a point. Um, the biggest issue for most of us is trying to keep our life. The Bible says if you're willing to lose your life, that's how you actually find it. It's a form of, of self-death to prefer someone over yourself. It's, it's, it's frightening for us because we're all afraid to die. The, um, let me just um, wrap up because I'm basically done. I want to pray for relationships right now. Um, I just made a point to myself here, Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. What's important? When the Bible says what's important, it's important to underline what's important. So what's important is faith expressing itself in love. Faith without love 
Paul would say it's like a tinkling cymbal. It's like, a, it's, a, it's like hollow. It's like religious. But he says when faith expresses itself in love, I just, I just think that that's a, a, such a profound statement. Uh, I have discovered, d- decided that, that I would rather be happy than right. And learning to love my wife or the people around me just because I'm loved doesn't create an agenda of trying to get, expect something to come back. Learning that, sort of, that type of love requires us having a relationship with the author of love. There's nobody here that's got enough love to love the people that are in our lives. We have to get to the source of love. God is love. What a statement. But that quality of love never fails. The, the, the love that's willing to give without respecting anything in return. The laying down of our lives for another, that quality of life has to come from an encounter with the living God. So this morning, as we close, one of the most important things is our relationship with the Lord. We don't know Thanks for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and check out our C3 Calgary live stream on YouTube. If this message resonated with you and you'd like to give to our church, you can do so on our website at myc3church.ca. See you next week.